Check testing. One, two, three. Brother Charles, how the hell are you? I am fairly acceptable. How are you? I just want to wake up every day, throw a leg over my scoot, and ride. American Roadrunner. American Roadrunner. Stories from the road. Whether you are a rider, wrencher, Racer or just a weekend warrior, this is the show for you. You found us, my fellows. Welcome to the American Roadrunner Motorcycle Show, brought to you by the book American Roadrunner. And now, your host, Bob Marshall. Welcome back, my fellow roadrunners. I am your host, Bob Marshall. Today's word of the day, stampede. The stampede. Some of you have heard of it as it has graced the legends of all our minds. Some of you might be thinking, what is a stampede? If you've read my book, you know all about it. If you've had anything to do with magazines in the last century, you'll know all about it. The stampede was a chopper race. Left to right, first one there wins, west coast to east coast, outlawed, illegal, immoral, and just a bad idea. How fast can a bunch of choppers get across country? Needless to say, I was fortunate enough to compete in said race. But where did it come from? Today, that's what this show's all about. It all started with a chopper magazine, and in its pages graced the gospel according to Charlie. No, not that Charlie, the Charlie I'm usually right, not, we're talking Nomad Charlie. Charles Davis, quite the man, worked very hard to keep the stampede going for the 10 years that it did go, and it was very exciting all he did. I think it was 05 to 2015, I may be wrong. Needless to say, Charlie ran them all, well, almost all of them, finished almost all of them, won a few of them. It was very exciting stuff. The man was definitely a huge contender in this race. That was a stampede. So today, we were lucky enough to catch up with him. He was driving a rig on the 10 heading west. We just let him talk. And needless to say, there's a lot of good story and a lot of good information that came out of this badassery. Just to make it all clear, the stampede, to me, was always about chasing one Mr. Nomad Charlie, and chasing him, I got to do, and I did. Let me just tell you, the greatest race in my life that I will ever compete in next to this, the human race. But before we get to that, just a quick few announcements. Yes, you've all read it. I absolutely won that other race. First one to 50 pounds wins between myself, one Mr. Dump Truck, a few other cool people jumped on board. Their anonymity will remain safe. Some of them lost 20 pounds. Some of them lost 30 pounds. I lost 50 pounds. I went from 273 pounds to 223 pounds. 
in just under six and a half months. Needless to say, it was quite a race. It was quite a venture, quite a journey. I know if any of you have ever met me or seen me, I'm a big dude. I'm still a big dude. There's just a lot less of me. And that made me extremely happy. So big news, I won the race. Dump Truck and I have yet to figure out what the loser gets to do in said regard and the winner. But that's not important. What is important, big shout out and thank you to Mr. Dump Truck for the inspiration of me losing all my weight. And during COVID, go figure. But it worked out real well. Nomad Charlie, Stampede, American Roadrunner Motorcycle Show. Enjoy, my fellows. I hear something about driving past a big roadrunner on the side of the road near Las Cruces, New Mexico. Yeah, I'm just barely taking off. Nice, nice. Your life on two wheels and riding motorcycles. Did you start riding when you were a kid, or? Kind of inadvertently. I mean, the first time I can remember being on a bike, I was about four years old, and it was on a gold wing. <laughs> nice. A gold wing, legit. It was my grandpa, and I thought it was the coolest damn thing in the planet. Now, I didn't realize at the time that it wasn't, but, you know, it was kind of, kind of pretty cool. I mean, that was like... And this thing's like a 78 or 79 DL 1000. And I don't know. I just thought it was like the most impressive machine that I had ever witnessed. And I knew that somehow, like, I had to have something to do with one of them things. My parents really weren't too into it. You know, I got to ride around a couple times with my grandpa. And it'd be sitting on a center stand. And I can remember climbing up it like I was climbing a cliff. It was huge for me, but. You know, like, I was so pumped on it. You get up on the top, and it's like, oh, man, yeah, you feel like you're so damn cool. But little did I know that here I am on, like, one of the dirtiest bikes that you could possibly ask for. But they have their virtues. Don't get me started on clothing. It's all right. Ask Jared. He'll tell you all about it. Oh, man. Jared and I love our gold wings. And press. We all got a few of them. You Fel- have a gold wing? Oh, I didn't realize yeah. you were one of them dudes. Oh, heck yeah. I got my gold wing the same month that Jer got his, and we totally did not talk about it. We had no insight on it, but we just happened to pick up, and they're like the same year. His is black, mine is gold, and F-Bomb scored mine for me. Which one? Yeah, no, the, the 1500, the GL 1500. The oh, go- yeah, F- that one. Yeah, F-Bomb found his uh, Tempe Dodge there, got it in on a trade-in. He got me a pretty sweet deal on it. Next thing you know, I was hauling butt to Phoenix to pick up a freaking gold wing of all things. But Jared picked his up at the same time. Yeah, we've had a few good times pulling up the chopper parties on our freaking gold wings. So. Yeah, it's like, oh, I'm just winging it, man. Heck yeah. It's like, uh, well, you know, you got to cover all your bases. You don't see any guys going to golf course, golf course with only one stick in the back, you know? Exactly. I mean, Usually you can only keep one old lady, but you can finger fuck as many bikes as you can get your damn hands on, you know what I mean? That's right. They're not girlfriends or freaking women. Have as many as you want. I can't imagine. But it all had to lead to choppers for you eventually. Let's hear how you got into it. Yeah. Well, choppers is another story, you know? Like, that was the first time I remember being on a bike, but like I previously mentioned, my parents wasn't into it. 
when I was about seven years old, I had this pal, and his dad had this big old IT490 Yamaha. It had to be like a 82, 83 model. I mean, this is the early 80s. I was probably, it was probably like 1986. And, you know, I mean, he was a Mormon cat. And so his dad was really young, but he was super fun, you know, like we go out and do fun things. My parents were old, and, you know, we didn't do as much fun shit. But anyway, they had dirt bikes, and I was quite enamored. So he had this big old IT 490, and I remember going over to his house, sitting in front of him holding the bars, and he's going off this big dirt jump. And oh man, dude, it was it was heavy. I was terrified, but at the same time, I was so pumped on it. But he had like little PW50s for for uh, his kids, so me and my buddy were riding these little PW50s with no no clutch, no gears, just kind of like auto. You just get on and go, and you know I were all ripping around a little bit, and I remember wrecking and seeing blood on my hands. I was like, oh, I got to get up so nobody could see, you know, and nobody saw it, and I was just like, that was so awesome, and it's like, oh, it hurts, but I I can't. You know, I didn't want to look like I got hurt, you know, because I figured they wouldn't let me ride anymore. I mean, it was the first time I got on a motorcycle. It right. was it was very heavy. I remember the feeling of just sitting in there in the gravel, looking at the blood on my hands. It's like, fuck that. We're getting back on. We're going. Amen. It was rad. But, um, you know, I didn't get to ride for quite a while after that. You know, as we got older, uh, you know, I had a couple buddies that had dirt bikes. But sometimes they let me ride, but not that often. You know, so it wasn't like a real regular thing, but yeah, I left home when I was probably about like 15, 16 years old, 15, it was closer to 16, but I was still 15 at the time, and it was kind of a weird story, but I ended up bouncing around for a little while, and I was too proud to go home, and uh, one of my dad's buddies, I run into him one day, and he's like, hey, where are you staying? I haven't seen your truck at the house lately, because he used to go by there on the way to work, and like, uh, you know, here and there. It's like, well, you want to stay on my pad? Because he was on the road all the time. And so I'm like, yeah, why not? So I go up there, and uh, I ended up living up on the mountain with him. And, uh, you know, he had a he had this old 76 shovel head. And I kind of got started getting into the idea of, uh, you know, like a street bike. You well, know, primarily a Harley, but I could they have that kind of money. I mean, this is like 1993 or something. Uh, Probably 1994. You know, we rebuilt his shovel head in the kitchen. You know, worked on all his loser buddies' bikes. And uh, there was this guy, his name was Tony Robinell from South Florida. This guy was a real piece of work. But he had this 1968 shovel head, this generator shovel, in like this old stretched out, stretched out frame. It was... It was the first chopper I laid eyes on, and I was super damn pumped on it. Like, I mean, that that's kind of what changed the whole deal for me when I really got into choppers. You know, I was probably like 95, 96 or so. But, you know, I dug it, but I, it might as well be 10 miles away. I mean, I didn't have two nickels to rub together. I, I had mostly jack bikes when I was younger. You know, like starting around then, I, I swindled some guy out of this. XJ750 in a game of cards. It was the biggest pile of shit. God, I got a thorn in my side. Everyone gets these nostalgic feelings for their first bike, and I don't want no part of that damn thing. I mean, 
that bike was a turd. But um, I got it kind of half-assed running. It had that Hicks system on it. They have to have this special tool to synchronize carbs and stuff on it. Right. It's just a pile of shit. I mean, if it's running good, you leave it alone. You ride it until it's not running good. Just take it to the dump. I don't know. I know a lot of guys speak really highly of Yamaha. They say the Yamahas are supposedly some of the most reliable bikes, but I was scarred at a very, very early age by these excesses, but there's a lot of really transitional things going on in the world of jet bikes in the early 80s, which were good in the terms of transition, but really weren't good in the context of riding that thing 25 years later. Right, right. So, you know, that was my first bike and my first experience, and I learned a lot from it, and I got really frustrated with it. Eventually, I guess a few years later, I ended up trading it for a tattoo or some damn thing. You know, I had several that bikes after that. Like, I had this uh, KZ650 that I broke my skull on. I had a, a Shadow 750, a 98 model that I bought when I got back from uh, fishing in Alaska. I was young. It was pretty weird. Um, I don't know. I mostly had jet bikes because I didn't really have, have like, any other money until uh, until I was grown, really. I didn't have them. I mean, my first legit Harley was the rest of it, honestly. That was 2005 when I got the pile of that thing. I didn't have a Harley until I was 26, but I had a gang of jet bikes, you know? Like, right. I mean, the aforementioned ones were the ones that I considered mine, but I always kind of like buy and sell and, and angle stuff. But it was different back then. I mean, regardless of whether you're all like a a chopper, a Harley, a jet bike, whatever. If you're on a motorcycle, you're basically a piece of shit. Yeah. And, and the cops would harass you. And you were around back then. It was it was a lot less awesome. But somewhere along the line, it got more commodified. And the teeth came out of it, just like everything else that may have been, you know, marginally, um, marginally societally unacceptable. Right when we were kids is now turned into a commodity. I mean, you think about it, like skateboarding. I've been arrested for skateboarding. I've been in jail for skateboarding. I've been in jail for for finding like the smallest crugged of weed in the floorboard of my truck. Now you get in the year 2020 here, I thought we're going to be flying around goddamn Jetsons cars. And what are we doing? You know, like dudes are getting paid more money than I'm making going to work staying home and smoking pot. Like, come on, man. What is wrong with this planet? Don't get me started. Yeah. I digress. Where yeah. were we? We're talking about motorcycles and awesome shit. Um, so anyway, yeah, I had a lot of Jap bikes. I was pretty stoked on them. But it was, you kind of make do with the most of what you can get your hands on. But, you know, a little while after I got in the oil field, I started having some real bold money. You know, I mean, I didn't have two nickels to rub together when I was younger, but it didn't really stop me. I just, I'd always had at least one bike that was running that I'd keep. And, you know, I've gotten a few good little wrecks and stuff, but it never really totally turned me off. I still got around pretty good. It was a long time I never even had a car, you know. All I had was that stupid little Kawasaki 650. That thing was bad, though. I went, all, I went everywhere on that thing. Yeah, what, what year did you start working in the oil fields? I started working in the oil field in 2002, 
And I didn't even know I was getting into the oil field. It was, it was a real weird kind of deal like that. But 18 years later, here I am. I mean, a lot of things changed between then and now. All I had was a jet bike and a few hundred dollars. I was working at a Honda shop in Las Cruces, coincidentally enough, where I just was. I was making like 50 bucks a day. These assholes promised me like a 1% or 2% shop commission. And, you know, I was pretty pumped on that. But it was after I, I completed my probationary period, which was, I want to say it was like a month or two, you know, after they felt me out to see if I was any good. So I was like being their service rider. I was putting on, I was putting together these brand new bikes out of the crate and kind of getting dialed in. Right. You know, I'd mess around with some of the some of the trade-in bikes and try to make them a little bit more roadworthy if they were less than roadworthy. But, you know, after a while, I was like, hey, man, I've been around here a couple months with my shop commission. This is all after I ended up coming back from Europe. And I was super broke when I got back to Europe. I like 20 bucks. I was stuck on the East Coast. Ended up back in Las Cruces. And I didn't have much dough there because I'd only been there a couple months. I was just looking for the bigger, better deal, and some guy told me, give me $100 a day to go to Wyoming and look at Parrish, and I thought, $100, goddamn, it sounds like a chunk of money. Well, you know, I figured I'd see if I'd go up there and give it a shot, and hang around to the bigger, better deal come around. That whole oilfield thing's a whole nother story, though. I don't know if you want, even want to tiptoe down that road <laughs> path, but uh. I took off on my office shadow and ended up there. Well, that's really where the rust bucket come from was up there in the oil field. I mean, that's where I got the money to get all the parts for it. You know, back then, dudes were really proud of their shit. I mean, I must have had, at that time, I had like 7000 bucks in a pile, and I thought I was sick of that hog in the ass. But nowadays, you could buy the equivalent parts that built the rust bucket for, dude, you probably get for four or 5000 bucks. I mean, granted, I put a lot of time and money and broke a lot of stuff, rebuilt stuff. I mean, it, it it was constantly evolving into like a different, more awesome version than the first one. When oh. I first rolled it out of my mud logging shack in Utah, it was way less awesome than it is now. If I look at pictures of it now, I kind of cringe, you know, and you think like, oh, God damn. You know, kind of like if I could go back in time and talk to that younger version of myself, I'd probably give him the old what for and just me and him would have, like, a serious come-to-Jesus thing. I mean, don't get me wrong, I don't have any, like, major regrets in life. I think I've, I've done a, a fair amount of interesting things as time has gone on, but, man, you know, who would think that they would let the 20-year-old version of themselves make decisions that might affect you for the rest of your life? I mean, fortunately, that little asshole didn't do anything to wrap up me too bad as time went on, but as I look in hindsight, which is always 2020, you know, I think like, man, that kid could have really fucked my whole deal up. The rust bucket's always been a Harley, right? Harley frame. Well, it was an Ultima frame. It's uh, oh. it's titled as an Ultimate, like 1986 Ultimate. I, I don't know how it happened. I mean, I had to do some serious finagling to get paper on it, but. It was always been an Evo. It was an Evo with a five-speed. It had like a, a DNA Springer. It was, it was kind of a pile, you know, but I bought it off this dude in Ukiah, California, 
off eBay and whatnot, because that's all I did was crack out and look at shit on eBay. I mean, I basically lived in the middle of the desert by myself in this little trailer, dealing with five other assholes, poking holes in the ground. I couldn't spend my money any other way unless it was on the internet. And I figured, well, I got real money now, well, I'm going to make me a real bike. Amen. So I always had it in my mind's eye that, yeah, I had bad luck with paint, and I was just going to have a bike that just, I just kind of let it go and let nature take the course with it. And so I figured if I find something rusty, maybe maybe I can find something that's a little cheaper. And at the time, this turned out to be that bike. Like, evidently, old boy had it, and he kind of half-assed tore it apart because he was going to paint it. But then, you know, I guess his old, he knocked up his old lady and shit out a couple kids. And next thing you know, like, he loses interest it's in California in the mountains. And uh, it started rusting up, and there it sat. So he was letting it go. And God knows how many miles was on the motor. It was like a 97 model motor. It was a legit Hardy motor. Five-speed transmission, soft tail style. Just just like everything of that ilk right around 2005, you know, like it was readily available. But it had, it had this like Billy Lane tank on it, one of those early, early uh, uh, Choppers Incorporated tanks. It had like a flat trailer fender, this piece of shit sissy bar. There's a lot of things that were super janky on it. Most of it, most of it kind of went away. Like, as I'd break things, I'd put different things on, and it kind of evolved into the roadworthy machine that it is today. But it was my first legit Harley, and you know, like if I had to get rid of all my other bikes, that would be the one I'd hang on to. Well, I know I've spent many a mile cruising next to you on it, and even even more many a mile chasing that bitch across this country. Which probably leaves us. Oh, Charlie, if I may be so bold, do you know how many miles and dollars I've spent chasing your ass across this fucking country, my friend? Well, on the rust bucket of the kitty, hang on, we're we're coming up to La Migra. I'm going. American Roadrunner brings you a Roadrunner in the headlight. It's that time again, my fellows. We got just a few bells to ring, because let me tell you, it's been an exciting, warm season here for Ride 1K in a Day. There's been so much awesomeness. COVID's going on. Crap's closed. People are out riding, hitting the road. Congratulations, my fellows. Can you guys hear my washer and dryer clunking down the hallway of this old house? No, I don't think so. That's good. A poor washer and dryer are held together with duct tape, bailing wire, shoe goo, and anything and everything else that'll get a motorcycle 1,000 miles. Let's get to it. Riders, one of six. This is what makes it all worth it. Some good competition. Out to ridefasterpuss.y backslash and jhardcore. Crush this double record breaking 1K turn and burn with all the mile crushers he could wrangle. 12 hours, 40 minutes is the new fastest time to 1K. And largest group is now set at 9. Let's hear what he had to say. Started off meeting the rest of the RFP crew at 3.30 a.m. at TA in Troutdale to meet Joey, our timekeeper. Gassed up and ready to rip, we hauled ass out onto 84. Five miles into the trip, my freaking gas can came loose and I have to pull over in one hand while holding the can with my left 
to a decel stop. <laughs> Not good for the bike. Scrambled to fix it and back on the road, ripping 90 to 111 the whole time. Couple gas station stops, fill-ups with our extra cans on the side of the road while pissing in the wind. We hauled some serious ass just before Bliss, Idaho, turned around on an overpass and hauled ass back. Our time there was around seven hours. We made up for it with 111 miles per hour dash back. No cop stops, no breakdowns. The RFP gods were watching over us. Quick smoke show right before pulling into TA for our time. Amazing fucking trip with the most down mother effers I know. Ride fast pussy. Congratulations, sir. Rider one of six. Let's hear what the rest of the group had to say right after we ring our bell for you. Here we go. Rider two. This is at the underscore blue underscore eyed underscore devil and PDX underscore Dinah underscore crew. Part of the nine hooligans to crush this turn and burn. They rot. We love doing hood rat shit and showing people we stand by our brand. We saw a challenge and decided to blow it out of the freaking water. Jason, Mr. RFP himself, stumbled across this ride. Every one of us who he asked adamantly agreed. Not only would we do it, but we would break every record by a long shot. After many adult beverages, the night before, and a severe lack of sleep, Chris, Jason, Dustin, Brad, Dave, Jeremy... Jordan, Manny, and myself, like the true warriors we are, stepped out to the plate and went to war. All nine of us put on our boots and leathers at 2 a.m., fired up our hogs, pissed off the neighbors, and headed to the TA gas station in Troutdale, Oregon. Set off to show everyone that us Oregon RFP, Crash Incorporated, PDX Dynacrew boys, much like the great Wu-Tang Clan, ain't nothing to f with with a solid game plan in mind an iron will and teamwork we barreled east on i-84 to our turn and burn location just over 500 miles away ripped back through shit traffic pouring rain construction zones roadkill pissed off drivers and covered in gas from dustin's accidental turning on my fuel pump in my face we pulled back into the TA gas station in 12 hours, 40 minutes, still non-deep, ready to go again. This will be one of the most epic things we will ever be a part of and will echo for an eternity. Love you, boys. Till the holla. Well done, sir, and welcome to the Pirate Gang. Let's talk Rider 3 of 6 at 01DMAN57, part of the group crushing this 1K. By now, I'm sure most of you are very familiar with this ride, so Manny cuts to the chase with his story. Fast and hard! Hashtag RFP! And that's all Manny had to say about it. Well done, sir. Welcome. Rider 4 of 6 at Mad.Baggers. Crushing this double record break-in 1K turn and burn with the eight others. Largest group ride. He rides. I woke up late and barely made it out the door on time. We all had only a few hours of sleep, but we did what we do. We rode hard and fast because that's what the RFP crew does. It was exhausting and exciting the entire ride. 
We accomplished our goal to beat the records, and we will do it again. I'm proud to call these boys brothers. Hashtag ride faster pussy. Well done, sir. Welcome. Rider five of six at Drowning of Wolves. It's just all about RFP and the Ride 1K. I'll keep mine short. 1,000 miles in 12 hours and 40 minutes is absolutely insane. There's an enormous level of trust you put in your friends while trying to attempt something like this. So I'm extremely grateful for them. These are the best riders in the Northwest, and I'm looking forward to breaking more records with y'all. Congratulations, sir. Bells for you. Last but not least, Rider 6 of 6 at Dinah Street Fleet. We all planned on this Ride 1K for quite a bit, and we're a stubborn group. When we put our minds to something, we set out and accomplish the task at hand. And when we say that we ride hard and fast, we do exactly that. This ride proved it. The ride itself was nothing short of amazing, as it just felt like we were in a race with each other, having a blast, and ripping like the solid group of friends that we are. So many people told us we couldn't do it, that we would be broken down, that a thousand miles would destroy us. All we did was destroy some records, then a few cases of Trulies and beer, and our tires, and we burnt out, and we elite in celebration of cementing our place as some of the hardest riding dudes on Harleys out there. P.S. Pro tip is to get drunk the night before. All of the water you drink will nurse your hangover, you'll never have to piss, and you won't be afraid of crashing, because at least then your hangover will be gone. Overall, this was the best day of my life on a motorcycle. Well said. Exciting news coming up next. In the meantime, let's get back to Nomad Charlie and all the awesomeness, the stampede that is Stampeders Racing Choppers Cross Country. Here we go. And now back to our regularly scheduled ride. All right, we are through the border check. But anyway, what was the first year that you did the stampede? Oh, the first year I did it, I reckon, was, uh, shoot, You're I, well, it, it was number seven. Oh, really? Yeah, number seven. You, so were, you, you never chased the rust bucket, you chased the KZ. Oh, no. Seven. Yeah, no, we, we've taken a few rides through Arizona and other places where you've been on oh, the rust yeah, bucket. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. You were on that one. I tried to the stampede, I was going to say, you wasn't around back in them days. I never rolled. I never rolled the rust bucket past Stampede number four. Let's get to the meat of the potatoes. How did all the Stampede start for you? How did you get into the Stampede? Well, right around this time that I bought this pile of an Evo, you know, I was pretty ate up with the horse. Like, it was pretty rad back in them days. Amen. You know, I just geek out on all these choppers. And I think, like, oh, man, you know, one of these days I'm going to get my shit together. You know, because most of my bikes were, like, heavily chopped out before. But I didn't know what I was doing. And, you know, I was just a punk-ass kid. You know, most of my bikes were pretty, like, they're pretty rideable. But they weren't very heavily modified. It was just kind of minor stuff. But... But it's your primary mode of transportation. It's just kind of getting your ass around. And, you know, so I became accustomed with bikes to just ride them that was there to basically be my servant, be my slave. And I couldn't handle it being down for an excessive amount of time because 
it was my only get around and it was a matter of being cheap and fun and well cheap and fun you know that's all it's about cheap thrills i guess you know i saw i didn't invent the stampede by any means but right around the time i got all that stuff i saw a thing in the magazine and it was like oh the ultimate put up or shut up you know like we're gonna ride across the country and i was like oh yeah that's so my jam i'm doing it and so i put that bike together in my trailer and, uh, well, it was kind of a pile of shit. You know, Fletcher, right? Mm. Mr. Brandon Fletcher and I were chatting a few nights ago. Yep, I know Brandon well. Yeah, whenever I first rolled that out of my mudlogging shack, ironically enough, he was de- delivering some, uh, he's delivering like a, a mud tank or a bulk, bulk water tank over to our location, and he almost run that damn thing over. He was only like 17 or 18 years old at the time, and man, I ripped his ass. I didn't even know him at the time. I was like, holy shit. That's great. Fellow Stampeder. I almost lost my mind, but that's another story. I mean, but later on down the line, we ended up being pals. I didn't really know him from Adam at the time. He was just some young kid. That was back, back in a different oil field. We'll just put it like that. I got out of there, and... I had, to, I had some days off, and it all kind of worked out. I went back down to New Mexico, back where I hung out and up in the mountains. And on my way down, I ended up burning up all my wires. And, you know, I figured I had enough time to get there to the race. You know, that day I was kind of fucked up. I was drinking. And, uh, I don't know. It occurred to me that, you know, my buddy, Joey, was asking me, well, where's this race starting? It's like, with the Barstow. When you got to be aware in Barstow, I was like, well, I don't know. Let's look it up. So, you know, on his internet, we kind of start picking around. It was real slow back then. Well, I didn't get the memo, but they changed the date that they were leaving to one day prior on Sunday. And that was the next damn day. Meanwhile, my bike was scattered all across the shop, wiring all burned up. You know, I was like, fuck, what am I going to do? And. You know, like, I really had, like, a big come-to-Jesus moment there. It was like, do am I going to scramble and do it? I mean, you know, and I, I ain't really ready to go. You know, there's more stuff I wanted to do before I was going to go, but if it's going to be tomorrow, fuck it, let's try it. You know, so I feverishly put it back together, and uh, I headed out for Barstow, and I got there in about, like, only six or seven hours out of the and I thought I was really getting done. And it was the night before the race was supposed to start. I wasn't even really registered or anything. I didn't know any of those dudes. We get to that Hotel California in Barstow, what we called Hotel California. It's like California Inn or some goddamn thing. Right. You know, right on the north side of the highway. You've been there. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was where I sent you back whenever you had all that rubber the rubber mats in your motor and you and your dad pulled them out in this giant ordeal. Oh, God, what a fucking start. No, my dad wasn't there. I ran up the street to my dad's girlfriend's house, who then became his wife, and I proceeded to rip that motorcycle all over her freaking driveway. I had to hit up Home Depot, get a bunch of slugs. Like, I made them out of, like, nuts and freaking duct tape and washers and all this janky shit. But I made it, and then I freaking got in. Yeah, I totally forgot that rule and missed the fact that there were rubber mounts 
on the front of that KZ engine. And I'll tell you, it never made a difference as far as that KZ was concerned. And that whole getup is still in there. I still use it as the damn motor mounts for that poor engine. <laughs> it's well, great. It's just Stockholm syndrome. You're just like, you know, become sympathetic with your captors at this point. Right. No, that was, <laughs> yeah, right. No, that was really good of you. Man, I was, I, I was, I, well, and that was it. Similar. I just showed up thinking I spent a few months building this bike and stretching it and my KZ cop chop. I write all about it in my book. It's a fun story. You were very kind. I appreciate you giving me the extra hours. And I showed back up before six, all ready to go, qualified and gave you my 50 and freaking got in the race. Stampede number seven. It was great, brother. Improvise, adapt, overcome. Oh, it was it was a big one for me. No, I, I really appreciate it. So there you are at California. And this was Stampede number one or Stampede number two that you were? Number one. Right. It was the first time. And uh, so I show up and it's goddamn two in the morning and I'm kind of tired. You know, I scrambled like hell just to get there. And, you know, I just took a, I, I just laid down in front of this hotel on the, on the gravel. Then I hear some guy yelling at me. I get up, and I'm all sketchy, of course, at the time. And it's some, like, old death man. He's like, hey, you want a pillow? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, man. And I thought I was just imagining it. And I woke up the next day all drooling on this pillow on on the gravel in front of uh, the room. Well, everybody was getting their shit ready to go. And I was like, oh, man. And, you know, that's when I met Hammer and all them dudes. And I was like, yeah, sorry, a little bit late for you part of year but you know i want to do it so there wasn't really any much of a giant sign up and you know it was, it was about that time that i realized that in my haste to get there my pack had kind of come undone and my cell phone come out of it and my tools i didn't have shit and i was like well all i had was a little crescent wrench in my pocket and a knife and a leatherman and uh well, I was like, well, I guess this is what we're in for. And, uh, and everybody took off. It was real exciting. Everybody's all hauling ass. This is the first time. Nobody knows anything, anything. Right. You know, it's back when dudes were real fired up about the whole chopper thing. And dudes were like something HS. You know, I didn't really know what to expect. But there was a lot of dudes there that year. I want to say it was like 30, 40 people there. It was, wow. The whole parking lot was crowded. It was like super, super intense at first, and somehow half dead, but I barely slept back then. I was young, dumb, and didn't give a damn, and, you know, I drank a bunch of coffee real quick, like, and, you know, I was only awake about 45 minutes before we split. Nice. Man, I was flat, flat getting it at first, and, you know, I thought I was sticking a fat hog in the ass, but let me think, uh, I started having problems. Oh! Oh, oh, yeah, I get a couple hundred miles in, and I'm pulling over to get gas, and my damn battery explodes underneath my ass, right? Wow. And just as I'm rolling in the gas station, I'm like, fuck. And so I was pretty much dead in the water, and there's this dude that come up with his chopper in the back of the pickup, and he comes like, Hey, I know where you're going. I was like, well, I know where you were going. Right. He's like, what's wrong, man? I was like, well, you know, my battery just blew up. He straight up took that battery out of his bike and gave it to me. Nice. And I give 
him the old was like, at least you got a core, man. It was like, well, you got longer to go than I do. His name was Junior, and he was a good dude. Uh, he was actually pals with one of the, with the dude that won. The dude that won that year was Les Ward from, uh, God, where was he from? I don't remember where he was from. I probably have it written down somewhere. Like, But anyway, he was a, he was a pretty good dude. And they were pals, but Junior totally hooked me up. I couldn't have gotten any further if it wasn't for that guy. But I swapped out the battery, put gas, kept on going. My bike is progressively falling apart as I go, right? And I have no damn tools. And I'm just cobbling it together with whatever I can find on the road. At some point, my damn kickstand fell off. I'm putting it up on curves. Everything's rattling apart. You know, my oil seal blew. I stopped at my buddy's shop in, in Grant. And uh, my buddy Sean, he's in Canada somewhere. Another real solid cat. We got it halfway sorted out. We welded on those back pegs that are on there, made out of rebar that night. Right. And I took off, kept going. Oh, what a pile. It was it was really hurting. But I kept going and going and going. And, you know, after I got past New Mexico, you know, the trip kind of got a little bit more routine. It was super hot that year. It was a real, it was a real ordeal getting across the whole country that first time, all in one fell swoop. I think I, I didn't really finish that strong. I come in like, God, dude, that first year I, I come in like 13 or 14. Like I was back in the pack. Right. But by the time I got there, it's the middle of the night. And some dude rolled up on a sports truck. I'm like, hey, man, you know how to get to this hotel? I was like, dude, you're in the wrong top part of town. You can't be here by yourself. It's like, I got to get to this hotel. It's like, follow me. There's some guy on a sporty. So I follow him over there, put my bike up against the curb. And I see some of the dudes that I remember from the other side. The whiskey was flowing. I wake up on the curb just like, I, just like before I left. It took me like a good solid two damn near three days to get across. It was like, it was an ordeal for me. But, you know, from Barstow to North Carolina on I-40 really ain't that much of a stretch. No. If everything's going good. Right. But whenever things ain't going good, it, it turns into a, it turns into a real ordeal. So then it was year number two. Is this when they put you in charge of it all? Nobody put me in charge of shit, dude. Nice. So the second year is to come around. The only dudes that ever done it before was me and Ricky Lewis. He was a very good friend of mine. Right, right. And uh, there was only 13 dudes that second year. Huh. And that's when everything changed. You know, like, it wasn't it wasn't like it was sponsored. Like, the first year was like a big glory stomping, you know, dudes having an idea about how this was going to go. There's a lot of hate and discontent along there. You know, there's some egos. By the time you get to the other side, everybody was just, down for the get down we party hard it was fun it was a good excuse to go do some crazy shit a lot of guys didn't even show up at the other side you know like wow it was kind of chaos it was kind of chaos right and there's a lot of shade in there but we don't even have to talk about some of the you know there's a lot of belly aching like dudes were saying like oh there's no way you could have gone that fast but there totally was i don't think there was any shade involved i mean 
you know, after the years, as the years went on, it was a totally doable time. And he, he, he laid it down, but if you stay riding and your shit stays riding and you don't stop, you're going you're gonna to do good. I mean, the next year, after all the belly aching and dudes riding and bitching on the first year, you know, there's only 13 guys that showed up. And me and Ricky were the only dudes that done before, so we just kind of, like, lined everybody out. And that's when we started the side bet, you know, and so everybody threw in 50 bucks, winner take all, and, you know, like, it was, it was really, that was a great year. That second year was like, I don't know, it was a great experience. Um, my buddy Rich from New York really changed my mind on Sportsters that year. He won, and he got there damn quick on that same route. I think he done it. He done it in just a little bit a little bit underneath my time on year number four. But at the time, it was like 35, 36 hours. He, he, he killed it. He smoked it on that Sportster. That changed my entire opinion of Sportsters. His tranny was fucking out on him. He tore the transmission out on the other end. But he just laid waste. Real good, dude. He got in a wreck somewhere after that. He's from up, I want to say he's from like Newburgh, New York, if I recall. Anyway. Real cool dude. But, um, yeah, he just laid it down. And, you know, after all the belly aching the year before, he beat that previous year's time by by hours. I mean, so it showed that it was possible. That second year, we went the same way. We're still on I-40. Uh, that second year, I got into wreck in Arkansas outside of Russellville. Uh, I was packing like a five-gallon, just like a five-gallon dairy can on the back of the rust bucket. I don't know. Uh, I thought everything was cool. I was going up a hill. It was early in the morning. Got into like a death wobble. It went down. There's a semi behind me. It's pinwheeling down the highway. I'm holding on screaming like, ah! They come to a halt. I'm in the middle of the road. I get up, and I'm like, my heart's just beating out of my chest, and I stand up, and, you know, my adrenaline's all kicked in, and this guy gets out of his truck, and like, oh, are you all right? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I think so, but, you know, my rear brake was locked up, and so I had this old boy help me crap walking off the road. It was like a yard sale, and my shit scattered to the four winds. He was like, man, I can't even believe I saw that shit. And I was like, are you sure you're all right? And I was like, yeah, I think I'm all right. And, uh, so, uh, he was like, well, I got to do anything for you? He was like, nah, man. And give me a cigarette. Took off. I was hanging out there. I was like, oh, man, I dodged the bullet there. Then all of a sudden, you know, a little while later, I'm trying to get my shit together and figure out what I'm going to do. And then Johnny Law shows up. And I'm thinking, like, all right, well, this is the part where Charlie gets fucked. It's kind of foggy that morning. The road was wet. I was going too fast. I had way too much unbaffled weight on the back of my bike. You know, I, I figured it all out later on. Like, there's no point in carrying five gallons on the back of your bike like that, especially not on behind your sissy bar. The geometry was all wrong. And I found out the hard way, naturally. It seemed like a good idea on paper, but later on, it evolved into a better idea. Um, but anyway, so old Johnny Law shows up, and I was like, oh, this is the part where Charter gets caught. This big old dude with a smoky bear looking hat starts coming walking out of the fog. And, you know, once I could see him, at first I'm thinking I'm really in trouble. Then he kind of just looked like some dipshit yoke. And he was like, 
Well, it happened there, Biller. You'd get a little bit of a scream. It was like, well, you know, I hit something in the road, slid out, but I'm all right. Just like, you sure? I'm like, yeah, man, I'm good. What about your motorcycle? I was like, well, I don't know, man. I'll figure it out. I was like, well, you want me to call an ambulance? I was like, nah, dude, I'm fine. They just didn't take it for a minute. It's like, well, you want me to, you want me to write this up? And I was like, no, sir, I'd appreciate it if you did. Right. <laughs> and and uh, then he's like, well, all right. Well, I guess there ain't nothing I can do for you then, boy. And I was like, I guess you're right. <laughs> and he's like, well, if the situation gets any weirder, just give me a call. And, you know, me like a retard. It's like, well, what's your phone number? You know, and the dip's just like, yeah, 911. I'm like, motherfucker. <laughs> oh, that reminds me of the first year I was, I got pulled over the first year too one time, and I have this camouflage backpack, and I'm on the side of the road trying to fix some Mickey Mouse horse shit. I had a whole thing of gold ball in there, you know, because I was a big fan of gold balls at the time, nice. and it blew up inside my bag, and I had it all dumped out, and so a dude on a chopper on the side of the road covered in white powder, you know, this cop pulls up with his boat around thinking it. He's just like busted Fidel Castro himself or something, you know, like, oh, we got Milo Escobar, and it's like, yeah, it's pretty hot out, you need a little gold bar, dude, I'll kick some down, you know, you can have some for free, you know, he's all kidding, he's like, you smell it, smells the menthol, and he saw the container, he's like, all right, asshole, whatever, get out of here. Right, he thinks you're covered in cocaine, I love it. Ever wonder what happened to the music they used to play on the radio? It's now available and virtually commercial-free for your ride. Dirty Radio FM. Get the app today and enjoy it streaming or download songs to your heart's content. Dirty Radio FM is free and the best way to enjoy music through a Senna like Bob or with earbuds while you're on the road. Dirty Radio FM. Get the app today. I did split and I was like, oh man, I just thought it was a bullet. But that was the part, that was about the time that I really got fucked. Like, it started raining, fucking, you know, my shit's all broken. I felt about as low as whale shit on the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, I didn't know what I was going to do. Yeah, I tried calling Jill and she come up with some uh, phone numbers for me. I mean, technology wasn't quite as advanced. I think I had like a flip phone and phone numbers. You know, I'm just getting a lot of dead ends. And then I called this welding shop. This guy's like, you want me to come get you? And I was like, yeah, man. Where are you at? And I told him, I'm by this, by this, uh, a mile marker. I, I get my boy, I'll come get you. She come and scoops me up. He had a trailer. And he was very suspicious at first, I could tell. But we made friends. You know, he ended up being a pretty good old dude. Nice. There's plenty of parts of that story, but we're not going to disclose that at this point in time, but it was pretty hilarious. Nice. Real cool guy. I ended up staying in a motel that night. Went back there, finished up in the morning. There was this other cat. His name was Grant. He was a booze fighter guy. And uh, he helped me get that front wheel lined out. One dude to another dude to another dude. And all these guys were super damn helpful. I mean... Is the, the welder guy to a guy that worked at this Harvey shop. And we went over there and he sold me a master cylinder and he sold me a couple little do's and dads like after hours in the middle of, I think it was Sunday even. 
And then one of his local buddies was there. Was like, oh, you're some kind of race or something. Well, I got an airplane. You still got a chance, boy. Like, nah, nah dude, I got to finish this shit on my own. <laughs> All them guys were super fucking cool. Like, it really opened my eyes to Arkansas because I never really hung out there before. But all them dudes knew each other and they're all super rad. And, you know, it's kind of like goes to show that wherever y'all are, you know, you can find something that's going to keep getting you down the road one way or another. There's, there's always a way out. And that really opened yeah. my eyes to that. You know, like I cracked the rib in the whole deal, but that was all that happened. Cracked the rib and I lost some time. And I was flat moving after that. After I got back on the road, thanks for pretty hunky door and switched on. And I still finished seventh place that year. American Roadrunner brings you a Roadrunner in the headlight. Because I had to build a new relationship with all the food in my life. Yes, it's true, my fellows. Believe it or not, I have heard you. I listened and I've heard you. Here's what I know. I lost 50 pounds, and before I knew it, I had 150 different freaking DMs and emails. I had 58 wonderful supporting phone calls from all the wonderful people who assisted me, and even more so from people who were interested. So yes, you talked me into it. The top riders have been humming over here at the American Roadrunner Rotting Laboratory. Yes, I'm going to be writing it all down. First person, my story, what I did to chop off 50 pounds. So stay clicked in. Who knows when that'll be done, but like anything and everything else, it will be awesome. I have hope. And real quick, before I forget, did anyone else notice how weak my bell was? I give my most sincere apologies. Let's hit it all again. Time six. Thank you, gentlemen, and crushing the miles. But before we go too far, we have a new record. As you just heard and everything just said, at 12 hours, 40 minutes, somebody that we might know got a little excited. At SD underscore real underscore estate, the man who kills it all the time, Took it back, 11 hours, 54 minutes. Scott also holds the record for most 1K in a year, 7, and most 1K overall. What Scott had to say this time. I'm no stranger to having my ass kicked from time to time, but nine times in one day was a little much for even me. A week and a half ago, I woke up to Ride 1K and today announcing that a group of guys were not only going for the biggest group to complete the 1K, but also for the fastest time. F me was what I believed I yelled and startled my girlfriend. I mean, damn, I only held the record for two weeks. Well, I was glued to the gram all day and lo and behold, they pulled it off. Hats off to them. No idea how the hell a group that large crushed it so fast. Still, my wheels were turning. I knew on my last 12-hour, 53-minute ride, there was some room for improvement. I just figured it'd be a few months before I attempted it again. 
That being said, though, I hadn't completed my June ride and time was running out. I decided I may as well give it a shot. Even if I didn't pull it off, I would knock out my June ride and check that off my list. I figured that if nine guys did it in 12 hours, 40 minutes, then a solo rider should really be able to make some time. I decided 12 hours flat was the goal. The strategy was up the five overnight with luck on my side. Of course, the first gas station by my house was out of paper at the pump and some drunk was trying to buy scratchers. But once I got on the road, I started making some time. 250 miles every three hours. No problem. Yeah, bullshit. Ha ha. Luck was indeed on my side though. No major construction, only a little miss, but no serious rain or wind. And other than missing two of my exits, things really went my way. The real challenge was a final 250 with a little Monday morning traffic. But by that time, I was in Oregon. And for the last hour, I was able to make up for a little lost time away from any metropolitan area. In the end, I hit 11 hours, 54 minutes. It felt like I had to fight for every minute of it. Someone will break it, I'm sure, but maybe not till August. Well done to the well-known as we know him, Scott, with SD underscore real underscore estate on the gram. Let's get to a good three for Ryder. Ryder one of three at Rusty Wrench 22. Crush this 1K turn and burn with two friends. 1,020 miles in 20 hours, 18 minutes. Take a tip from these guys and always come prepared with gas cans. My buddy Curtis had been talking about us doing a 1K in a day for a while. We finally set a date and picked a route. Because we both ride Sportsters, we invested in a couple of Rotopax gas cans. A godsend. We headed out Saturday morning at 4.45 a.m. from West Jordan, Utah. It was freezing cold that early riding through Spanish Fork Canyon and Soldier Summit. Along the way, we stopped in Green River, Price, and Grand Junction to name a few. We were always on the lookout for a gas station. Our halfway mark was Denver, Colorado, and conveniently, our buddy Jimmy lives there, so we had some lunch with him. We kept plugging away on our ride, always on the lookout for a gas station. We finally arrived back home Sunday morning at 1.01 a.m., what a long day, but well worth the beautiful ride in Utah and Colorado. The only thing I would change is having a windshield. Nothing like getting the piss beat out of you by the wind. Well done, sir. One of three. Congrats. Rider two at Harley Hood Rat. Knocked out this 1K turn and burn with the two other friends. Again, that was 1,015 miles in 20 hours, 20 minutes, he did it. Looks like he had a nice ride. Fully prepared with spare fuel on the Sportster. Cody and I were kicking around the idea of completing this because we realized we didn't have a lot of availability this year to do our normal overnight trip. So we said, fuck it, let's do it. We picked the route to Denver because it was just over 500 miles from us and one of our longtime friends lives there. I posted our route on Instagram, and another friend, John, said he was been wanting to do this too. The stars aligned, and we were all available on 620. Both Cody and I have 2.2-gallon tanks, so we knew that was going to really slow us down. We ended up getting 3-gallon roto packs to throw on the back of the box, which helped a ton. 
Initially, John and I thought we could knock this out in under 16 hours. The five billion gas stops proved us wrong. We left at 4.40 and the early morning was really nice until we hit our first canyon around 5.30. It was a balmy 37 degrees that morning. I'm pretty sure my frozen nuts are still somewhere along the Soldier Summit. After trudging through there, the weather was awesome for the rest of the ride. I-70 from Grand Junction to Denver was quite scenic and there's a lot of cool tunnels to rip through. We had a bit of excitement on the way home near Glenwood Springs where a ratchet strap tried to kill John. Thankfully, he didn't go down, but it bent a bunch of shit on the back end of his bike. He's a super solid rider, though, and it didn't seem to faze him. Overall, the experience was a lot of fun, and I definitely want to give it another go to improve my time once I have a larger gas tank. Well said. Fuel is a key. The more gas you have, the more miles you crush between the stops. Rider 3 of 3, Graveyard Postcard, crushed. This 1K with two friends, 1,015 miles, 20 hours, 20 minutes. He had a pretty close call on this one, but pulled through and finished the ride safely. He writes, We started out early the morning of June 20th. The first 100 of the day were by far the worst as we had to drive through some pretty cold canyon weather. Afterwards, it was mostly smooth sailing. We took I-70 and got to see all the great scenery along the way. The weather was almost perfect most of the day. I had never really driven through the Colorado side of I-70 during the daytime, and I'm glad I got to see all the scenery. We got to our halfway point at about 9 or 10 hours into the day. We took a break for about an hour and a half in Denver before heading back. About 30 miles before Glenwood Springs, Colorado, a ratchet strap that was holding my gas can came off and got sucked into the pulley drive belt on my bike. It destroyed the pulley and belt guard, so I mangled up my rear fender pretty badly. Luckily, it didn't destroy the belt, and the pulley was still rideable. We got back on the road with about 350 or so miles to go. I have to admit, it was pretty nerve-wracking having the lingering thought of shredding a drive belt out in the middle of a canyon somewhere, but the rest of the ride was pretty pleasant. My calves were sore, maybe from the wind? Who knows? but otherwise I was in pretty good shape. This was a fun experience. I thought it'd be much more mentally taxing, but luckily I was in good company. We had enough fun that I might do another one in the future. Well, that's a good idea. Well done, Mr. Graveyard Postcard. Well, Utah and Colorado are nice, but let's get up to Oregon, see what they're handing out. Here's another one. Rider 1 of 3 Ian knocked out his third annual 1K, this time with two friends. A fun 1K in a day challenge, certainly the best of the three I've completed to date. The first 500 miles was uneventful as the road was clear and dry. Traffic was light and no eventful moments to mention. However, this all changed as we were refueling and resting at a love station in Ontario, Oregon. The initial moment was highlighted with an exploding radiator line on a Ford Explorer parked next to us, running at idle with the AC on. Isn't that how it goes? Ford Explorers always exploding? Our remaining trip brought on the challenge of weather, deer and elk, cops, and asshat drivers. Traveling from Ontario to La Grande, Oregon, we were met with extreme crosswinds and headwinds pushing us across the lanes while leaning to nearly 30 degrees. 
Headwinds caused us to make an unscheduled gas stop to refuel before hitting Legrand for refuel. You could see the heavy winds as billowing dust crossed the landscape as trees were having their own battle against the forces. Our seventh leg, Prosser, Washington to Randall, Washington, was a treacherous night trek along the two-lane highway. Winding roads with faded road paint, dropping temperatures, condensation, sharp turns, uneven and potholed surfaces, spectacled with falling rocks, along with sighting of deer and elk, certainly taxing on the mind and body towards the end of the challenge. Our eighth and final leg, Randall, Washington to Portland, Oregon, finished with the remaining of Highway 12 and Interstate 5. We were met with heavy rain and cold temperatures as we cruised at 50 miles per hour. There was a point where the local police cruiser decided to tail us for about 10 miles before taking the second opportunity to pass us in a passing lane. Mother Nature decided to give us a reprieve when we hit the I-5 and turned off the water. Arriving at a final gas stop and hitting our 1,000-mile goal, their machines were down and could not accept cards for payment and print receipts. However, we found a solution as they could print cash receipts at the register containing details needed to fulfill our challenge. Well done, Ian. Rider two of three, Stephen crushed his second annual 1K in this loop with Ian and John. I started the morning with my alarm literally not going off. I was doing 90 to get to our meeting spot and went sliding my rear tire as I approached CeCe's. Just in time. Our first couple legs of the journey were fairly uneventful. We saw beautiful sights and ripped some great corners going over the mountains. As the weather heated up, we were going across the flats in central Oregon. Flat, strong, long, straight roads meant we regularly had fun pushing the speed of our box. About two-thirds of the way through, our challenges started. On I-84, we encountered a 50-plus mile-per-hour crossing headwind. It was all we could do to stay in the lanes and maintain speed. An hour of this had us grabbing fuel sooner than we planned due to running low after less than 100 miles. I had burned 2-plus gallons in 60 to 70 miles. After the winds, we started climbing into the Washington Mountains. We found ourselves quickly going from eastern Oregon heat to nighttime in the mountains. The temp dropped rapidly and found us winding through a rough mountain road in the dark, freezing cold. We took a long break at our next stop, sipping coffee and shivering in the gas station. The quote we kept muttering was, If it was easy, everyone would do it. Our next leg was the most challenging. We wouldn't be out of the mountains for 70 plus miles. We saw elk walking next to the station, so we were on the high alert for animals. Of course, it started raining. So we're on our last leg, sore, tired, cold, and wet. We got followed by a cop for 10 miles, encountered a drunk driver who paced us for 30 minutes on I-5 and credit cards not working at our last stop. Annoyingly asking the attendant if his receipts have dates, time, and location on them. But we made it. Again. Another year, another 1K. Amazing time with my brothers that will never be forgotten. A big shout out to Ian Forwood for doing our planning. Well done, sir. Rider 3 of 3, John, crushed his second annual 1K with his friends Stephen and Ian. 1,025 miles, 
21 hours, 54 minutes. This ride was in place of the Oregon run due to the pandemic. So instead, Ride Party Repeat participated in Ride Apart Repeat. This group and many more rode 1K to the first night's camp of the Gypsy Style Run last year. Being that I attended this run as well, it was fun to see them off the day before. Then personally confirm their miles a time when they rolled into camp, handing them the patch. Really missed being able to do that this year, but that much more looking forward to next year. John writes, This was my second 1K ride. I did my first last year into Oregon run. I knew I'd be back for more. So what better way to spend the weekend that would have been the run than on the road with a couple of guys I rode 1K with last year? Ian planned our route, and I had a little of everything. Some amazing fun roads, sweltering heat, some of the gnarliest winds I've ever rode through, freezing cold, a pitch-black mountain road in the middle of the night, a couple close calls with the cops, and we even got rained on just to top it all off. This year's ride definitely tested both myself and my bike more than last year, and I already can't wait for the next ride. Sir... John, you have written it extremely well. Gentlemen, congratulations. Bells to you again and again and again. I just can't give you guys enough credit for killing it and making it all happen. You guys are awesome. And the Oregon run was definitely missed this year. If you all remember on the show, that was the one where Chopper Charlie and I raced to somebody might have lost and it might have been me but it was a great chopper race for a thousand miles. Okay, next time coming up on this, the American Roadrunner Motorcycle Show, you will hear part two, Nomad Charlie, Stampede. But first, just some quick reminders. It's all about the charity. Let's talk MotoFam for a minute. We've all seen it. We've all heard of it. This is the organization that will give money usually to any member of a riding community that happens to go down and have issue. All you do is apply. It's an organization that I know I love, donate a lot to as a bait, as a president of Abate Local 27. Have I mentioned Abate lately? Don't forget to support your local Abate, my fellows. Abate, your safety and riding organization. But our good friend Mitch over at MotoFam is always rocking it. Look up MotoFam on the Instagram. Remember, if you're hearing this to date, September 3rd through the 8th, anybody, anybody doing a Ride 1K, Curtis Morgan is donating $30 of your entry fee into the Ride 1K Hall of Fame. $30 is going to go to MotoFam. So if you feel so inclined... Throw your leg over your scoot. September 3rd through the 8th, do Ride 1K, donate to MotoFam, a great charity. And one more thing before we go, something exciting's happening here locally in the little town of Riverside. For those of you local, you know Riverside has the first Thursday of every month an art walk, which has been canceled due to COVID. However, in replacement of, we have Art Talk. Every month on Art Talk, there's a featured artist. This month of September 2020, it happens to be one Mr. 
Bob Marshall. Myself, I will be putting it on all the social medias. They will be throwing it up on YouTube after it airs. It's going to be good stuff. See me sit down for a good hour, go through this interview, chat with all the con people in the local art community here in Riverside. Check the social medias. You'll find it all there. Be good to yourself, my fellows. Keep the rubber side down. And enjoy your road. American Roadrunner. American Roadrunner. American Roadrunner. American Roadrunner. All I want is a machine between my legs and open road. Show music is brought to you by Meek. The American Roadrunner Motorcycle Show is brought to you by the book, American Roadrunner, and is an American Roadrunner publishing production. Find us online at AmericanRoadrunnerTheBook.com. Find the book on Amazon or anywhere books are sold. Keep up with author and racer Bob Marshall and all his adventures and stories from the road on Instagram and Facebook at American Roadrunner. We'll see you on the road.